lines from the bottom. Levi Levi, the son of Ravuna, the son of Chia, Uraba Baravuna, and Raba, the son of Ravuna, Havikazli Baurcha. They were coming together on the road. They were riding donkeys. Hidmeha Khamra de Levi, the Khamra de Raba. And the donkey of Levi starts inching ahead of the donkey of Raba Baravuna. Ravuna feels very bad that this is happening. And Levi recognizes that he feels bad. So Amar, so Levi says, I better tell him something, so that that he his uh he'll calm down. Basically, what was happening is the way Rashi explains it is that Rabbi Baravuna held that he was on a higher level, a more distinguished personage than um, Levi. And whoever is more distinguished should be going first. And he got insulted because who does this uh, little whippersnapper think he is and going ahead of me? So Levi wants to make him feel better and recognize that I did not do this on purpose. This is my, my donkey, my wayward donkey. So he says, let me tell him something. A donkey that its ways are, are its dealings are, are bad, like this donkey, as it permitted to go out with a halter on Shabbos, right? In other words, a similar question that we were talking about yesterday. Are you permitted to go out with a halter when it's an animal that typically doesn't need a halter? But this is an animal that actually might need a halter because this is an animal that is a wayward, it's a wayward donkey. It doesn't listen to its master. So he says, This is what your father yourself, your father himself said in the name of Shmuel. That it is permitted to go out with a, a, a uh, the way, way Rashi explains, it's permitted to go out with a, a uh, something on an animal that does more, that does a better job safekeeping an animal than is even necessary. And we don't consider that to be carrying the fact that the animal has something on it that is even a better safeguard than it's necessary. We don't say whatever is necessary for safeguarding it, that's permitted to have on it. Anything more than that, not permitted. No, Hananya held that as long as it is a safekeeping for animals, even though this is not necessary safekeeping and it's more than is necessary for this specific species, you're still permitted to do that. So he says, of course, you're permitted to do that. And particularly over here where this is a donkey that even needs a higher level of Shmira because your, your father himself said that Allah is like Hananya, that even if it's not necessary or permitted to do that, and certainly over here where it actually was necessary for this particular animal. You have an A's, an A's is a goat, and what you did is you um, hollowed out its horns, and what you did is you then hollowed out the horns and you stuck a, the Yotzeh Ba'afser B'Shabbos, and then you stuck some sort of a, a halter in between its horns, so then, then you probably attached a leash to that halter that's in between its horns. Since it's in the horns, it's in there pretty securely, and now you attach a leash to that. He says you're allowed to go out with that on Shabbos. You're allowed to take a goat out with that on Shabbos because the halter is not going to fall out. It's in there pretty securely. Let's say you attach it to its beard, right, to the billy goat's beard. Now, now what's the halacha? Is that also considered attached securely enough that we're not going to be concerned that it might fall down and you might lift it up? Or is that not going to be tightly enough attached? Then therefore we would be concerned that it might fall down and you might not pick it. And then, and then you might pick it up and you'd be in the Shasarab and you'd be in the public domain. You're not allowed to pick it up in the public domain. So that's the question right now. If it's just attached to its beard and it's not attached into the hollows of its uh, carved out um, horns, what's the halacha? Kibon ti mitnach la ka'avla la do we say that for the, the, I'm not sure exactly how it works that you tie it around its beard, but for some reason, when it's tied around the beard, typically the goat is not going to try to, uh, you know, 
to remove it from its beard because the only way to do that is going to cause it some level of pain. So since it's unlikely that the goat is actually going to succeed in removing it because it's not going to try to remove it, it will hurt itself. So therefore, maybe we're not concerned that perhaps it's going to go up its, its uh, beard on Shabbos, in which, in which case you would bend down and pick it up. So maybe we're not concerned for that because even though it's around its beard and it's not so tightly, so tightly tied on, however, since if he actually tries to remove it, it's going to be painful, he probably won't do that. On the other hand, we could say, perhaps he'll end up getting a little bit loose and then he'll fall down. And if it falls down, and then the owner is going to unthinkingly pick it up and carry four Amos in the public domain. Now, albeit it will be a malacha daraisa, it will be a Torah prohibition, but only be a Torah prohibition of a shogeg, perhaps, right? It's only going to be a Torah prohibition, that, you know, unintentional Torah prohibition. However, he's still going to have to bring a carbon chatas, right? He's still going to have to bring a carbon for doing this malacha. So do Chazal say you should not go out at all with this, with a donkey with a, a halter around its beard? Or do they say that it's such a far-fetched concern that you're permitted to do that? Take you, we leave that question, you know, unresolved. We have to wait for Elio Anavi to explain the answer to that one. Tanan Hassan, we learned in a mission over there. It says you cannot go out with the Ritsua strap or a string strap between its uh, horns. Rav and Shmuel argue about this case of a strap between its horns. What's the, what's the argument exactly? Um, so at the end of our parak, it's going to say that a, um, a cow cannot go out with a Ritsua in between its horns. We're no longer talking about a a goat going out with a, with a halter between its horns. We're talking about a cow going out with a strap between its horns. So the question is, there's a machleka samarayim, exactly what that's referring to. So Rav, Tzigiba Rav Shmuel, Rav Shmuel argue. Chad Amar bein l'noit bein l'shamar, Asr. One of them says, whether you're taking it with this uh, strap between its horns for the sake of uh, an a, a ornament, right, to, uh, to make it look nice for prettiness, right? Or whether you're going out for the sake of safekeeping the animal, that this is going to help ensure that the animal doesn't get away, it's forbidden. And the other Amira says, So it's forbidden if you're doing this for the sake of, uh, of an ornament, but it is not forbidden if you're doing this for the sake of safekeeping. So says, I'm going to bring you a proof which Amira is which position, right? All we're telling you is that these two Amirayim have a dispute. And one of them holds one way, one of them holds the other way. Well, which one is which? So Yesu says, I'm going to bring you a proof that Shmuel is the one who says that if it's for the sake of, of, um, of design, of looking pretty, then it is forbidden. But if it's for the sake of safekeeping this cow, then indeed it is permitted. What's the proof? So what do we see? If Shmuel himself holds that the halacha is like Hananya, that any type of safekeeping is permitted, so then, yeah, this should be permitted for safekeeping, but not for, not for prettiness sake. I'll bring you a proof the other way. That Shmuel is the one who says that no matter which reason you're going out with a Shabbos, it is forbidden, whether it's for, for a, 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 um, an ornament or whether it is for the sake of safekeeping. They switched in front of Rebbe, right? Earlier we said in, in the, we talked about the case of where you have a, a camel goes out with a, with a, with like a bit in its mouth. And the, the female camel goes out with a, a chaitam and a nose ring. Let's say you switched it. Let's say the camel went out with a higher grade shmira, and the female camel goes out with a lower grade shmira, an insufficient level of shmira. What's the halacha? We asked this to Shmuel. And we, sorry, Shmuel quotes that they asked this to Rebbe. Let's say you switched it. Amar Lofan of Rebbe Shmuel Bar the son of Rebbe he said, Kach Amar Abba, this is what my father said, Dal behemis yotzis ba'afser. There are four animals that go out with an afser with a bit. Hasus, Haperd, Haferd, the Hagamal, the Hachamar. 
a horse, a mule, a, a camel, and a donkey. What is that coming to teach us? So, so the son is trying to say to, to Rebbe, this is what it's coming to teach us. Lav the mute is not coming to exclude gamal b'chaitim. It's not coming to exclude that a camel is only permitted to go out if it has a bit. It is not permitted to go out if it has a nose ring. Since a nose ring is unnecessary, it's not permitted. So what we're saying right now is that Shmuel is quoting this statement that happened in front of Rebbe. And in this quote that Shmuel is bringing down from Rebbe, right, who's a Tana, what is, what's the conversation that, the, the conclusion of the conversation between these two Tanaim? Conclusion is that a camel is not permitted to go out with anything other than a, um, an actual, uh, uh, the specific bit that it's supposed to wear, but it's not permitted to go out with a, a higher level of Shmira, a higher level of safekeeping that a nose ring would entail. So we see from here, that Shmuel, Shmuel does not hold that a higher level of Shmira is okay. Initially, we said Shmuel paskas like Hananya. A higher level of Shmira is also okay. It's not considered to be carrying. Because even a higher level of Shmira, ultimately, it's still Shmira. It's still safekeeping and permitted. Now we're quoting Shmuel as, as you know, bringing down the story of Rebbe and not seeming to disagree at all. So, Sameha Mekameha. So, the Gemara says, you're going to have to take the second, the second Brisa. Of, of what Shmuel said later, and basically ignore it for the first one, for the one in which he said, for the one in which he said that that uh, the halacha is like, um, for the one in which he said that the halacha is like Hananya. So the Gemara says, Who told you that you should ignore or remove the second statement of Shmuel in favor of the first statement of Shmuel that he's more lenient? Maybe you should do it the other way. Maybe take out the old statement of Shmuel that was apparently quoting Hananya, who is more lenient, and instead go with, run with the second statement of Shmuel that the halacha follows the, the way, the statement of Rebbe, which is that you're not permitted to do additional Shmira if it's not necessary. So, Rav Chia Bar Ashi Amar, Rav, Bein Lenoi, Bein Lashamar Aser. Rav Chia Bar Avin Amar Shmuel, Lenoi Aser Lashamar Mutter. I'll tell you why, because we have a statement in the name of Shmuel, in a different place, in which we say, Lenoi Aser Lashamar Mutter. We see explicitly, once again, that Shmuel's position is the lenient position. So at the end of the day, what we have is Shmuel holds that if the cow in the Mishnah later on in the parak, which is two blocks from now, when the cow is going out on Shabbos, we say it's forbidden for the cow to go out on Shabbos with a strap. Shmuel will tell you that Mishnah is only telling you when it's going out on Shabbos with a strap for the sake of an adornment, of, a, of an ornament, but not for the sake of, um, of safekeeping. Whereas, whereas Rav is going to say no matter what, it's not permitted to go out with a strap between its horns. Okay. So, so the question is like this. We're asking from a, I think this is a Mishnah. Yeah, it's a Mishnah. It's a Mishnah in, in, uh, in Masechta's Para. So Para is the Masechta that talks about Para Aduma, right? The red heifer. And the is that the red heifer is not allowed to be worked. So what's the definition of being worked, right? The red heifer has to be a calf that has fully red. It doesn't have more than one black hair and it, it has no more, it does not have two black hairs together in any place on its body, right? Another requirement is that it has to be tahar. Another requirement is that it has to be never worked, right? Now, how do you define worked? So the Torah says, Now we understand what that means is it's not just layovad, but it can't even have ever carried anything. Now, here's the question. If a cow is not permitted to carry anything, if a, red, if a red heifer is not permitted to carry anything, and if it does so, it will be disqualified from being brought as a red heifer. So here's the problem. The problem is that it says, a if, the, if the owner has tied it up with the meseira, with the, with 
with the afsa, Rashi says, with the bit, then it's still kosher to be brought as a paraduma. Now, the isalkadaitach, masoi. Guys, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Oh, uh, something happened to my screen. It paused the recording. Okay, fine. Yeah. I thought everything recorded. Everything paused. Okay, fine. So it says, Amar Achman, Amar Abaye earlier. The reason why you're permitted to use this high level of Shmira for a cow that typically would not be permitted. And if it's not permitted to do this on Shabbos, what that means is that it's considered to be carrying. If it's considered to be carrying, then that should pull, that should pose a problem for the issue of uh, carrying something on a paraduma. Paraduma is not allowed to carry something. If it carries something, it's disqualified. So why is it that it's permitted to actually put this type of high level of shmira on this paraduma? So Abayah says, Abayah says, we're talking about a case where you're taking this paraduma from one city to the other. And when you're taking a cow from one city to the other, a higher level of shmira is warranted. Rava Amar Shani Para with the Mayakar and Rava says something very fascinating. He says a paraduma is a very valuable creature. So generally speaking, why would you ever put a more a stronger type of shmira on an animal than is necessary. Generally speaking, you're not going to do that. That people were very uh, careful with, I guess, their money, and they wouldn't spend more money than is necessary. They wouldn't build a, a greater process than is necessary to ensure the safety. But a paraduma is very expensive, and people are going to be very careful. They don't want to lose that paraduma. So therefore, it actually is typical for the paraduma to have a higher level of shmira on it, right? This higher level of shmira than a typical cow. Ravina Amar Bimaredas. Ravina says we're talking about a paraduma that is a uh, meredas literally means a rebellious one, right? One is rebelling. So we're talking about one that uh, does has a little bit of an ornery um, personality, and therefore it was necessary to have a higher level of shmira. And of course, it will not be considered to be an all. It will not be considered to be a uh, something that is being carried by the paraduma or the paraduma is working. That's not going to be considered to be that because over here it is necessary to ensure its uh, obedience. Asus Bashir, it says that the it says that the horse can go out with its uh, with a collar. What does it mean that it goes out? What does it mean that it's dragged? Ravuna says it means either it can go out with it um, tied up tightly or it can go out with the collar in a way that it is going to be dragged. So what does it mean it's going out with a kruchen? So kruchen means that the that the, the ritua, the string, is savit sabaron. It's very tight around its neck. And even though you're not even holding on to it, it's just like some sort of a, you know, maybe it's an identifying collar, maybe it's a, once again, a pretty type of collar, but it is not here for the sake of actually directing the cow. Shmuel says you're only permitted to go out, this cow is only permitted to go out with this thing around its neck if it's going out for the sake of that it's actually going to help you direct it. But you're not permitted to go out with this if it's tied around tightly, that is no, it's not able to serve the purpose of, um, not able to serve the purpose of directing the cow. Masdisatana in Aramishna, I'm sorry, in a Brisa Tana, Brisa, we have another word, Yitzin Kruchen Limashech. We have an additional modifier word in a Brisa that says it goes out Kruchen Limashech. It goes out Kruchen so that you can drag it, which sounds like Shmuel. I saw that the the Golem, the um, the uh, the calves of Ravuna, Yitzin Ba'afsarein. I saw that they were going out with their apsare and their, their bits or kruchin were tied tightly on Shabbos. He says that the mulois of base rebbe were going out with their apsare on Shabbos. Ask the question is this talking about a case where it was kruchin, where it was tight and was not being used to direct it, or talking about a case where it was actually part of the, of the ability to direct the animal? Let's bring a proof. 
It says that the when when Rishmuel Yehuda came from Eretz Yisrael to Babel, what does he say? He says that Rebbe said that the the uh, the mules of the house of Rebbe they would go out with their their um their bit on uh, I'm sorry not their bit the the halter tied tightly on Shabbos. Amrua Rabbanan can made the Ravasi, the Chacham is sent Ravasi. Hadar Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda leitzricha made the Dimi nafka. Why is Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda? What what's his statement necessary? It's really the same statement as Rav Dimi. Rav Dimi also said when he came from Eretz Yisrael to Babel that the that the mules of of Rebbe would go out with the with the officer. So what's 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 Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda adding? So. Maybe what you'll tell me is maybe Rav Dimi, he never said it's talking about a case of Kruchen where it's tied around tightly. Maybe Rav Dimi is talking about a case where it's only actually going to be used for the direction of the, of the animal. So that maybe then came along Rav Yehuda to say that no, even Kruchen is okay. They switched up, once again, going back to this case. They asked Rebbe, let's say you have the female camel with the lower level of Shemira and the male camel with the higher level of Shemira. Is this permitted on Shabbos or not? This is what my father said. There are four animals that can go out with the halter. Hasus, Baferd, Bagamol, Bachamar. The uh, horse, mule, the camel, and the donkey. Amalur Vasi, it's Trichlu. The Imidra of Yehuda Nafka, Havamina, Amar Lafana, Havamina, Amar Lafana, If we would have only said the statement of Rev Yehuda, then I would have said, yeah, maybe Rabbi Shmuel Bar Rabbi said over from his father that it's not permitted to switch it. But maybe Rebbe never accepted that, right? So therefore, Dimi says that I saw personally that the, the mules of Rebbe went out with the Afsar. So we see that he actually accepted the statement of, of Rebbe Shmuel in the name of his father. But if we were only about the statement of Rebbe Dimi, I might have thought that when is it permitted to go out with the, this, uh, the thing around it? It's only permitted to go out when it's actually being used to direct it. But if it's very tight around it and it's not going to serve any purpose other than other than uh, you know an ornament, then it's not permitted to go out like that at all. So therefore, therefore the statement of Rishmuel Bar Yehuda was necessary because he added, by the way, when those when those donkeys were going out with this tight with this collar around its neck, it wasn't just going out with this collar for the sake of the direction. It's also going out with it, even not for the sake of direction, even when it was tight and that was not it can actually help in terms of directing the animal. Now we're quoting later in the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, It says that you can the um the collar of the of the animal when it's on the animal you can sprinkle on it to make it ritually pure and and you can it, it, it can go into the mikvah while it's on the animal and that will be considered to be metaher to, to purify the collar as well the is that to say that a collar of an animal can actually become ritually impure in the first place? We learned in the Mishnah. The rings of a person can become ritually impure. The rings of an animal, the rings and other vessels and all other types of um, and all other types of rings, they are ritually pure. They cannot become ritually impure. In other words, what we're saying is these types of these types of uh, one second, ain't that? 
So, so Rashi explains like this. Why are they going to be tahar? Why will they be ritually pure? Because they're not really a tachshit. A tachshit means an, an, a type of adornment. And adornment, when you have people, you could say a ring, that's a tachshit, right? But putting a collar on an animal, that's not going to be in the real level of tachshit, of a jewelry item. Jewelry items can become ritually impure. Vessels can become ritually impure. This is neither here nor there. It's, it's some weak sort of uh, significance and not so much utility. And therefore, it's not going to become ritually impure. So the question is like this, if it's the type of collar that's around an animal, well, it doesn't become impure in the first place. So what do you mean you're telling me that, oh, if you sprinkle on it when it's on the cow, or if the cow goes into the mikvah with this collar on it, it's going to become pure. The ring's going to become pure. The collar's going to become pure. Why does that need to become pure in the first place? It never can become impure. It's an animal collar, not a human ring, right? It started off as something that was worn for people as a beautification purpose. And then you started using it for an animal for beautification purposes. And since initially it was used for people, therefore it can become ritually impure. And therefore, even once you switch to an animal, it still can become ritually impure. Since a person is using this utensil, he's using this ring to help direct, to help drag the animal, therefore it actually becomes a utensil. And it it can become ritually impure because it's a utensil that does not serve an animal. It's a utensil that serves the human. Tanya, did we not learn? Makal shel behema shel matachas mekabel toma. A the makal the the um, the stick that you use to to prod an animal, right? So that stick, if it's made out of metal, it can become ritually impure. Now, what what's the reason? Matam, what's the reason? because people use it to direct and to prod the animal. Therefore, it can become ritually impure. So too over here, since the purpose of this collar is for man to be able to pull and drag the animal, therefore it also can become ritually impure. It's the status of a vessel that serves man, not the status of a vessel that serves an animal. And it says that you go to the mikvah in its place. The Gemara asks like this, there's a chatzitza. So it took me a while to get what the Gemara meant over here. The Gemara means it's like this, there, there was a, um, a ring and the collar went through the ring. Right, so I'm still not positive exactly how how it was set up, but I guess the ring is how you how instead of tying it, you actually would stick it through a metal ring, maybe, and then after you would tie it. Now it went through the metal ring. What the Gemara assumes right now is that the metal ring is tightly around the the cloth or the or the rope that you're using for your collar. Now the problem is like this: when something goes to the mikvah to become ritually pure, what's the halacha? It can't have anything in between the item that you want to become pure and the actual mikvah water, nothing can be in between, right? So that's why, you know, if you're going to take your a brand new, you know, dish to, to, to the kalim mikvah, you take off the sticker because if you don't take off the sticker, then it's not going to be a good job of dipping. So over here, you're going to be dipping this, but it's t- attached so tightly to the metal that the metal is going to be a, an obstacle. It's not, the water is not going to actually touch every part of the, of the color. Amar Rami says, what's the case over here? That you actually banged out the, the ring so that there's a little bit of, of space in the ring so that the, that the, the ribbon, the water is going to be able to catch every bit of the ribbon. Really, let's say Rami holds like Rav Why? What's Rav position? If he holds like Rav Yitzchak, who said earlier, what was Yitzchak's opinion? That we're talking about a case, how does it become ritually impure in the first place? It used to be a man a vessel that was used to beautify, a ring that was used to beautify people. Perhaps like they're thinking of, you know, those African tribes that have those, those metal rings around their neck. So it was used to beautify people. And then you took it and started using it for man. So if you say, if you say like, then this is going to be problematic. 
because he just explained how can it, what's the, how do we take care of the problem that the water doesn't touch the, the rope? So he said, how do you take care of the problem? You banged it out to make more space so that the ribbon has space around it. Well, if you banged out the ring, right? So then anyways, the ring is no longer going to have the same status as what it had before. Now you said, why is this ring able to become ritually impure? Because it used to be something that was used for beautification of man. Well, once you banged it out and changed its shape, so now you've taken away its status of being a vessel that was, that was uh, set aside for man, in which case it can't become ritually pure. It's no longer a vessel that's set aside for man because you changed it by doing an action to it, right? So therefore, when he says that the case is that you actually banged out the ring to make space around the ring, so it must be that he does not hold that the reason that it could have become ritually impure in the first place was because it was used for beautification of man. It must be that he holds because, like Rav Yasef, that the reason why it become ritually impure is because it has a purpose and serves a role for man, and therefore it can't become ritually impure. Because otherwise, it would not it would not be able to be ritually impure anymore. It would it would lose its status when you changed it from being a tight ring to being a, a loose ring. So ha, let's read it inside. So the the tumah is going to fly away from it. It's not because we learned in the Mishnah. Any vessel can become ritually impure just with machshava. In other words, once you've decided that you want it to be a vessel, now it's already hochsher. Uh, it's already it's already, it is ready to now become ritually impure if something touches it that's impure. However, it's not going to leave the Tumah. It's not going to leave its status of ritual impurity until you do some action to change its status. So what do you see? We see that if you did an action to change its status, it's going to change. And over here, you did an action. It's no longer the same vessel because you changed it. It must be, he could, he could even hold like, like uh, the opinion of that the reason why it's ritually impure is because it's used for man. So why is it still ritually impure once you changed it? He holds like a Yehuda's delineation of what sort of change can actually make it no longer impure. When you're talking about fixing an item, that's not going to be enough to change its status from ritually impure to ritually pure. What changes the item from being ritually impure to ritually pure by just doing some sort of action to it as opposed to putting it in the mikvah? What changes that is when you break it, when you are slicer the item, when you, when you destroy the item or do something destructive to the item, not when you do something constructive to the item. We don't say shina maisa. To, to fix it. That's not called Shina Maisa. Only when you come to destroy it is it called the Shina Maisa, changing the item enough that it is no longer has the same status. Another way to explain it in the Brisa is that we're talking about a case of Michulalan, where it's a very wide ring. It's, it's a very wide ring, uh, op a long opening, or sorry, a large opening. So therefore, the rope is not flush against the ring, and therefore, the ring is able to be um, purified. So one Talmud from the higher, the upper Galil, right, comes and asks Rebbe Lazar, Shemati Shecholkin Ben Tabas Tabas. I remember I was learning and they, they differentiated between two different types of rings. I don't remember what the topic was, but I heard them saying there's two different types of rings, right? Amalai, so he says to him, Shemalai Shemat Elayin Shabbos. It must be that you only heard that on Shabbos there's differences between rings. Because if you were listening and they were talking about Tumah conversation, a conversation about ritual impurity, there's no, no distinction to be drawn between different types of rings. And is that true that when it comes to Tumah, the Gemara interjects, is that true that when it comes to Tumah, no matter what type of ring it is, they all can become ritually impure? Is that true? But it's not. We learned in our Mishnah. The ring of a person can become impure. The ring of an animal, the ring of vessels, the ring of, and any other type of, any other type of ring. They are ritually pure. 
So what do you mean there's no differentiation between different types of rings? There certainly is a differentiation between different types of rings. If it's a person, serving a person can become ritually impure. Serving an animal cannot become ritually impure. So maybe the differentiation that he remembers that they were di distinguishing between two, type of, two different types of rings. Indeed, it was related to impurity. What he had heard is that there is no, he, what he meant when there's no, if there's no distinction between different types of rings, he meant no distinction between different types of rings that belong to man. Any different type of ring that serves man has this status, whether it's a nose ring, an earring, uh, anything of a, of, a, of a ring that serves man will become ritually impure if it touches something. The Gemara follows up on that. Well, that's not so simple. And every single type of ring that serves man is also ritually impure. But Tanya, we learned in Arisa. If you have a, a, a ring that you're using to, uh, I think it's like a belt, basically, right? A ring to hold up your pants. Or to, um, to tie up in between your shoulders. I guess some sort of cloak that you want to keep up on your, maybe somewhere over here or somewhere over there, you have a ring that's holding together two sides of your cloak, something of that nature. It's ritually impure. I'm sorry, ritually pure. Those types of things don't become ritually impure. The only type of ring that serves a person that becomes ritually impure is what? A ring that goes on a finger, right? And they don't mean on a finger as opposed to other body parts, but they mean a ring that is, its purpose is as a tachshit, is as a, uh, as a adornment, right? So that can become ritually impure. Oh, yeah, he didn't mean all rings. He didn't mean rings of man. All he meant is rings that go on fingers. And even rings that go on fingers, we can still argue on that. Why? All rings that go on fingers, are they in the same status for ritual impurity? You have a tabaz, you have a ring that's made out of metal. And the chosma is almig. Almig is a type of wood. And the seal on it has made out of some sort of wood. Right? So to me, that ring can become ritually impure because its, its essence is out of metal, right? Wood does not become ritually impure, but metal does. And since the essence of this ring is, is metal and has some sort of decorative thing that's made out of wood, it still becomes ritually impure. If it's, its essence, its main part of the ring is actually the substantive part of it is wood. And its seal is matachas, is metal. Then then it is ritually pure because since the main part of it is, is wood, it cannot become ritually impure. So we see that there's differentiation drawn between different rings also. When he said there's no differentiation between drawn between rings, obviously he meant no differentiation between drawn between rings that are made of metal, right? Obviously a ring that's made out of material that cannot become ritually impure. He wasn't talking about that type of ring. Void, shal, and also, yes, shamati, shachalkin, right? So after he finished that conversation, I remember that they, that they were talking about rings and they were differentiating. What was it about? And he explained to him what it was about. And after much labor and effort, he figured out exactly what the case was. I'm guessing that the idea over here was, right, like, well, why did he give him this vague answer? The guy comes to you all confused, and what do you do? You give him a vague answer, getting him more confused. I'm guessing the reason is because he felt that the, he had not put in the, the proper amount of effort in his, uh, in his listening the first time. And that's why he's like, I remember they were talking about rings. I don't remember what. So he said, you got to work hard. This is not a simple thing. So he started uh, leading him down a, a rabbit's warren until he finally got to the right answer. That's the uh, last time I ever asked you a question. Yeah, because that's what I do to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I shall, and next question he asks is like this. Shemati shecholken b'machat l'machat. He says, I also remember that they differentiate between two different types of needles. Amar so he said, it must be that you only heard them differentiate about needles for Shabbos purposes. Because if it would have been for, uh, for impurity purposes, they both have the same status. All rings have the same All needles have the same status. Is that true? That they all have the same status? They're the exact same uh, position? But tonight we learned in the Mishnah. 
You have a ring that the, the, the eye of it or if the point of it fell off. It's ritually pure. It no longer has the ability to be function as to what it initially was created to do. So it's not, it doesn't mean that all rings are, all needles are the same because if a needle that changed its status and no longer has the ability to function properly, it's not going to have the same status anymore. When did he say that all, ring, all needles are the same? When they're both, the both still a complete needle. Then they're the same thing. But we learned in another Mishnah. You have a needle that starts getting rusty. If it is going to cause the, the sewing to not work properly, then it is ritually pure. But if it's not going to be an impediment to sewing, then it will be a, a ritually impure needle. Right? In other words, a needle that has become ritually impure. But then it got rusty. And it's no longer used in its typical fashion as a needle for sewing, and it's ritually pure because it no longer has the status of a vessel, right? Because only things that can become ritually impure are things that are vessels that serve people. So if it no longer has the ability to be used because it's broken, fine, no longer a vessel. If it's become rusty and it can no longer be used to sew, also it's no longer a problem. So we see that there's a differentiation drawn even between needles. So he says, and these are both whole needles, right? That nothing fell off of this needle, it just happens that ritual, it happens to get rusty, so it can't be used properly. says, and we're talking about a case where it's Rishuma, it was Nikar. It has to be so changed that if you would use this needle for sewing purposes, then the, the, the garment that you use to sew will actually then bear a, a, a remnant, I guess, of the rust. So clearly people will no longer use it. And that's the case where we say it no longer has a status of ritual impurity. So what we see from here is that not all whole needles are in the same category. So he was only talking about a smooth needle, not a needle that actually had developed rust. And is it true that when you're talking about needles, smooth needles, that they're all the same category? You have a machat, whether it has a hole in it, whether it does not have a hole in it. You're permitted to carry it on Shabbos, even if it does not have a hole in it. Now, why are you permitted to carry it on Shabbos? It doesn't have a use. We only said that it needs to have a hole in it for the sake of Toma purposes. So, Abaya later on is going to explain Okay, good. So Abaya says, what are we talking about over there that Lenyan Tumma is not able to, uh, to acquire ritual impurity? That's talking about when you have a needle that you're intending to actually put an a, uh, eye into the needle, right? You just haven't yet done it. So then, since it's not yet a finished utensil as far as your intention goes, it's not yet able to acquire ritual impurity. Now, there's still a, there is a use that you can make with this needle that does not yet have an eye. If it doesn't have an eye, you can't use it for sewing, obviously. But what can you do with it? You can take out a, a splinter, right? If you get a splinter, you take a safety pin and you, you heat up the safety pin and then you use it to take out the, the, the splinter. So even if it does not yet have an eye in it and it's not yet ready to serve its intended purpose, it, maybe it won't become ritually impure because it's not yet ready to serve its intended purpose. But you still could use it in a pinch to take out a, um, a splinter. Since you still use it in a pinch to take out a splinter, you're already permitted to carry it on Shabbos, right? So important distinction to draw. So we've been saying the whole time that until a utensil is finished, it's not yet able to acquire ritual impurity. And when a utensil loses its utility, no longer, it's no longer able to acquire ritual impurity. Now, how do you define a utensil as being finished? So that really depends on what the homeowner, what the owner of this utensil had in mind when he was making the utensil. If he has in mind for it to be finished at an earlier stage because he wants it to be used X fashion, then that's going to be finishing it. If he had in mind for it to be finished at a very later stage, a very refined product and only at Y, then even when it reaches X along the way, it's not going to be enough to make it ritually impure. 
Let's just do this Mishnah quickly. Chamar can go out with this Mardas, with the um, Mardas is like the, um, the, the bags on its back, right? A saddlebag, right? You go out with this Mardas when it is actually tied onto it. The Gemara is going to discuss exactly what this means. The goats can go out um, tied together. He says all these are forbidden unless they are the Rechelis that are Kunis. The Gemara is going to discuss what's happening earlier. So he says that the, um, the, the Rebuda says that these goats are permitted to go out tied. What are we referring to here? What we're referring to here is tying up its its um its udders, right? To so say you could tie up its udders for the sake of to dry it up so that it no longer has any milk, right? And then it can become pregnant again. But you cannot go out to to tie up its udders so that the loyal khalib, you cannot go out for to tie up its udders so that the milk will go into a container. Because if you're doing it so that the milk goes into a container, then you might end up taking the container off and moving that container. And then there's an issue of carrying in the public domain. Okay.